Shane, what's going on, man? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, man. Not too much. Just just raising a little baby girl right now, man. My first one. So I've been busy with that since October. Oh, congratulations, man. What's your birthday? I appreciate it. October 1st, man. Ten days, ten days before mine. Oh, yeah. I'm the 26th. We're all Scorpios then, right? No, Libra, man. You left us. Oh, I, I left the tribe. That's good, though. Yeah, you and my dad, bro. You and my dad did it to us. Hey, we just said Happy New Year. When's your cutoff date that you uh you stop wishing people Happy New Year? I'd probably give it another. I, I'd give it about a weekend. <laughs> and then you're done, right? Yeah, I'd be done, man, because it's just, it's just redundant. <laughs> hey, listen, I know you're a Louisiana guy. Right now, are you more upset with the Saints or more pumped up with LSU playing for the national title next week? We're trying to save face, bro. So I'm pumped up about LSU. I'm a, I'm a Saints fan, but I'm not a fanatic. So although I'm disappointed that they lost, it's not the end of the world for me. Plus, you know, we still got our Tigers rolling in the natty, uh, a week from today. So I'm looking forward to that. And you're an LSU guy. So you bleed, bleed LSU, right? Definitely mandatory, man. You got to once you step foot on that campus, it, it doesn't end. As you know, it's a lot of fans around the nation that, that, that rip the Tigers, the LSU Tigers. So. It's, it's, it's somewhat like the Pittsburgh Steelers when you look at it. And, and you know what's great with LSU this year is every year you watch NFL games and you'd be like, oh, my God, that cornerback's in it, that linebacker, that receiver, that running back, offensive lineman, everyone's LSU, and now you finally have that stud quarterback, which you guys kind of lacked for a while, and this this team's just special. Yeah, it's it's crazy because just yesterday watching, well, maybe it was Saturday, the Bills, with uh, Tredavious White, mm-hmm. you know, they were talking about him a whole lot obviously facing off against Hopkins that, that went to Clemson. So, and a few other guys that were playing, playing in the playoffs or that are still in the playoffs. It's, it's crazy how, how that program just pours out athlete after athlete. And the only spot that really hadn't stuck in the NFL has been the quarterback, but Joe Burrow, man, I think he's going to change the, that whole thing once he, uh, once he gets drafted next, uh, next, next spring. Did any other school even have a chance at recruiting you or was it LSU ride or die? Well, LSU came in late. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I got my first letter from LSU. I was pumped up, obviously happy. But a bunch of the, the other state schools were, were making a push for me to, to come right away. LSU, were, they were pushing me to go to JUCO. I was a 17-year-old uh, senior in high school. I graduated at 17. So I believe my maturity level uh, at the time, they thought, you know, wasn't ready for, for SEC baseball. But after being drafted and them following me to summer after my senior year, they wanted me to come right away. So that changed the whole landscape. Once I spoke with Skip Bertman, uh, he told me I'd get, have an opportunity to play as a freshman. It didn't work out because I got injured, but that's all he had to tell me. And that, the rest was history. High school baseball isn't as glamorous as football or basketball. And I have a ton, a ton of basketball and football guys on. The recruiting process, it's not as big time as like he got game. There's no big recruitment for baseball usually, right? No, because if it's if it's that way, if you got a guy that's that highly touted, chances are he's going to be drafted in the top five rounds probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, you only get 11.7 scholarships. So unless you're, for example, if you're getting recruited by LSU, Mike, you're getting recruited by LSU, you're not a state guy, guess what? We're gonna In order to get you, we got to pour a little bit more of that money of that 11.7 to get you because of out-of-state fees, so on and so forth. So if you're that stud guy coming out of New York, LSU wants you, you're going to get that higher end, but the in-state guys, such as myself, we got to take a hit. So it's important that we take care of our grades and, and do certain things to where I'm only getting maybe 20%, but you, in order to get you, we got to give you 60 plus. 
you know, it's, 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 it's a tough deal when it comes to, to college baseball uh, based on scholarships more than anything. I love draft stories. I'm obsessed with the NFL draft, the NH, every draft I love. And you got drafted twice. The first yeah. time out of high, first time out of high school by the Dodgers. I know it was in the later rounds, but how'd you get that phone call? And where were you? I wasn't even home when, uh, and obviously I didn't have a cell phone back in 1997. I don't know if many people. <laughs> <laughs> I had a beeper. So, you know, I was at I was at American Legion practice. Matter of fact, playing summer ball. I'm sure American Legion is uh, it's a dinosaur now when it comes to summer baseball because of the select uh, the select atmosphere. But um, I was coming back home from practice, and my grandmother. As soon as I drove back home, drove back up to, to the house, she was like, yeah, you got a call from Mike Luzinger, who was the scout for the Dodgers at the time that covered my area. He's like, yeah, you were drafted in the 45th round. And at that time, draft and follow, that's all you thought. You know, hoping that a guy that got drafted that late went to JUCO so you can have his rights for the following year mm-hmm. or he goes back into the draft. A lot of stuff that is uh, not relevant these days when it comes to the draft, so I laughed at it in a sense, but it was an honor. I got me a Dodgers hat, uh, played summer baseball, and he followed me and made me a decent offer towards the end of the summer. Obviously, LSU came knocking, so that made it a little bit more. I got a little bit more leverage from the Dodgers to, to offer me some money because LSU were they were they were pursuing me towards the end of the summer as well. So, although it was a forty-fifth round pick, I got I got off for six figures, man. It wasn't deep into the six figures, but I got off for some decent money. A tough decision to go to college because that's you know listen looking at it now we're older now you played pro ball you're a college kid and you're like oh my god I can get six figures is that hard not to jump on that being where I'm from New Albany Louisiana small town obviously I didn't man I may have been I've been to Texas once and North Carolina once (laughs) you know up until I went to college you know and I went to Texas for the first time when I was 17 for a Legion tournament. So for me, I played the game, man. I played the game. I didn't know much about it. I played it, happened to be good at it. Uh, Mike, I'll tell you this, man. I don't think, I think I would have got clowned if I would have went to pro ball right away. My glove was a Ken Griffey Jr. autographed glove. You know how they had those? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The rolling gloves, yes. That's what I had, bro. <laughs> I went to college with that. <laughs> <laughs> how quick did LSU give you a real glove? Man, it took probably that first semester because if I go to my dad's house, he has a picture of my freshman year when we took team photos and my individual, that was the glove I had on in my picture. So uh, college was huge for me, man, not only from the standpoint of maturity, but the growth of me as far as learning the game a little bit. Uh, being 17 and, and, and being amongst men like, you know, certain guys that go to pro ball right away, you can get lost in the shuffle. And for me, I hadn't been anywhere, so... I would have definitely, I definitely think I wouldn't have lasted as long as I did if I didn't go to college. You win the 2000 world title. Where's the ring? The LSU. In my closet in a safe place right now. Do you ever walk around and just rock it or not? Nah, it's been a while, man. Uh, probably since, and I, I guess that's a stigma for me. I, once I, once I went to college to LSU, I didn't wear any other universities, no t-shirts. I used to have a couple of different college t-shirts, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day. That was the popular thing, college college uh, windbreakers and T-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I stopped doing all of that. So once I got to pro ball, I stopped rocking the college ring. Um, I look at it every now and again because we, we're embarking on 20 years, and I think yeah. we'll have a celebration this, uh, this spring once the season starts, 20 years since we won the title, man. But um, it's in a safe spot, and I look at it, like I said, every now and again. You want to hear the greatest ring story from a former LSU guy? You want to hear a good one? Yeah, let me let me hear that. Josh Booty comes on my show all the time. He wins, he wins the ring with the Marlins in 97. 
He said he's at a bar with Kevin Millar, and he's rocking his World Series ring. And Millar's like, yo, Josh, can I get this? I want to go hook up with some chicks. And Bowie's like, yeah, take the ring. Kevin Millar gets all banged up, loses the ring in a, in some uh, – in, in some bathroom in, like, Florida, and it's never been recovered. Is that great or what? No insurance either, huh? <laughs> Nothing. No. Josh Booty's like, dude, I – and the best part is Malara won some rings with the Red Sox and never let Booty wear it. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. But that's – I'm not surprised by Malara, man. I've heard – I don't know him, but I've heard stories about that guy being, <laughs> being, being out there and, and having a lot of fun. But that's crazy. No insurance on the ring, so it can't even be replaced. That's – wow. That's a rookie mistake, though, if you think about it. Best college player you played with? Best college player that I played with? Man, that's tough. That's tough, man. If you just think about that 2000 squad we had, it's tough to say. I mean, I, I would have to say just let's, let's go pound for pound. How about okay. Mike Fontenot? See, I was going to go Brad Hop. Wouldn't he be the I, That's who I was. That's the two names that came to yeah. mind. Yeah. I'm thinking pound for pound. I'm looking at Hop. You, Hop looks the part. He's he does. Like, he looks like a ball player. Yes. Mike Fontenot is 5'7". Yeah. But the ball jumps off his bat. I, I I was wondering why this guy was in college, why he was at LSU, until I saw him swing the bat. Really? Yeah. His hands are stupid. Like just uh, Dustin Pejoria stuff right there, right? But without without that big leg kicking, it's smooth, man. He just He's just short and quick to the ball. You know, you know uh, Pejoria, he kind of gets, gets everything going. And, and, and generates his power like that. Mike Fontenot was real quiet and smooth with his, and them hands just explode through the baseball, man. It's, and I might catch some flack for this. I'll see these boys soon if they listen to your podcast <laughs> or anybody, but I just have to go Fontenot pound for pound. Hop is a close second, I would have to say. But, uh, man, yeah, Mike Fontenot. You, you get drafted. Now, listen, you do LSU. You win the yeah. title. You get drafted again now in 2001, which is beyond cool. You get drafted by the Pirates, and you bounce around the minor leagues. Where'd you play in the minors? So, I, but but before I answer that, man, I improved my draft stock by two rounds. <laughs> <laughs> you went to forty-five, right? <laughs> I went to college for four years to to improve my draft stock by two rounds. <laughs> <laughs> and when I got that call, I was sleeping. <laughs> and and was what, sleeping what did they, what did they say? Call. But what what's cool about it was um. The guy that drafted me, Everett Russell, man, he recruited me at a high school. He was a pitching coach at Nichols State, which is in Thibodeau, Louisiana. I obviously didn't go there, but we've had a relationship since I was a, a high schooler. Um, when he became a scout with the Pirates, he left Nichols State and went to Louisiana Monroe. And then I think in 2000, he got the job with the Pirates as a scout. He drafted me. Um, so I, I didn't sign right away in 01. I did go to Instructs. So 2002, I, I got stuck in uh, extended spring. 22 years old in extended spring. I go to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, uh, and have a real great season. And I touched every level, man. I didn't skip any levels. I even repeated double A. So I went from Williamsport to Hickory, North Carolina, from Hickory, North Carolina, Lynchburg, Virginia, and then over to Altoona for double A for almost two full years, and then Indianapolis, triple A, uh, at the end of 06 was called up in 06 and went back to AAA in 07, got called up uh, halfway through, finished the year there. And uh, that's that's my history with the Pirates before going over to the Phillies for half a year. I have a bunch of MLB guys on. Slade Heathcott has been on a bunch, and he's a huge voice in the minor league pay movement and conditions down there. How bad was it for you? Now, you just, you know, you leave college. How bad was that with the pay raise and stuff, the pay raise? about that. I'm an SEC guy, so we flying. 
Yeah. Okay. We flying everywhere. We we drove to Mississippi only, and we drove. I think we drove to Birmingham for the ACC tournament, but that's the only time we took a bus. And we stopped to Piccadilly, which was, you know, that's steak and shrimp when you when you're college. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we eat over there, and just to have that the locker room, the whole culture of SEC baseball with the aluminum bat was comparable to double-A baseball as far as the competition and things of that nature. So going to pro ball, it was a few steps down, especially especially in low-A because, well, you know, short season Williamsport and low-A and high-A as well because some of those locker rooms, some of those stadiums are so old. It's a few times, man, we dressed at the at the, at the, at the hotel, the oh. tower. You know what I'm saying? It, it was that bad in some places. So it was, if you really wanted it, man, that's how you stuck it out. And I really think, that I'm, I'm with the whole increased pay, the union type stuff to where guys can get some pension because it's a, man, it's a grind. It's a drag. You, you're living below the poverty level, at least when I was coming up. And I'm sure the pay hasn't gotten much better since. And, you know, you did it. I, I don't want to say right, but you had a kid later on in life. God forbid you're a young kid. You come out of college. You have a kid. You can't support that kid and do your dreams. Now you got to kind of have to say, do I want to fulfill my lifelong dream of playing in the pros or do I want to, you know, maybe do a normal life, normal job? That's a tough decision, man. It's very tough, and man. That almost happened to me at a high school. Fortunately, it didn't happen. It almost happened once in college where I may have had a kid, but it didn't happen. I think those girls are trying to trap me, man. Don't tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> they knew I was going in the 43rd round, bro. <laughs> hey, but, she- um, it, it's, 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 it is, man. And you would hope that the, the, the lady, the lady that you're with at the time is understandable. And maybe she has a career that's, that's taken off to where, she can pull some of that weight until you figure it out if you're going to make it or you need to move on and pursue something else. Not many 43rd rounders make it to the dance, which shows your drive, your ability, what you want. Give me that call. Forget about the calls for the draft. Now you're hustling. You're in Williamsport. You're all over. Give me that phone call that you're going to up to the big show. Listen, Mike, they don't have 40 rounds in the draft no more, I think. I don't think. They turn, they're trying to cut it to 20, so think about that. Piazza and a few other guys getting drafted late to make it, but – I'm in AAA in 06, man. Um, I think we're playing, we're playing in, uh, Toledo. We, we, we needed to win the game to, to go ahead and, and, and get into the playoffs. We get beat. And I just started maybe the night before, or two nights before we won. I'm sitting in there, my homeboy Vic Butler, who had came up to AAA with me. We're eating. Guys are showering. Trent Jewett, who was the manager at the time, he was like, Hey, man, um, you know, make sure you got your clothes ready and everything to, together. You're going to Chicago. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, man, uh, you're going to Chicago. And it still doesn't hit me. But my homeboy, Vic Butler, he's hyped up because he knows. I don't know how he knows. <laughs> you know, you know how it, it's the minor leagues, man. It's the end of the season. We just lost. We're not going to, be, to, to, the, to the playoffs. He got geeked up, man. I just put my head down, bro. And, and Trent was like, man, it's okay, man. You can shed a tear. But it still was surreal to me. Even after showering the whole time in the locker room, my friend Vic Butler, he's, you know, loud, making, you know, do, I'm just, I'm still, I'm I'm floating on cloud nine, but I don't know what just happened to me, man. That's that's just kind of how it was. I, it, it didn't hit me. It really didn't hit me until I stepped on the field in Chicago. Well, now you walk into the locker room. Give me that because I'm, I'm always curious when like a guy – like, listen, you're a you know bonus baby like Bryce Harper and that kind of stuff. You walk in. Everyone knows who you are. You're walking into a locker room with these established players. I think Jason Bay was on the team. 
How do yeah. you introduce? How do you introduce yourself? What do you do? What do you say? It, it's it's tough. I mean, uh, the good thing about it is it was a few guys. Rajay Davis was already up. Uh, R.I.P. Jose Castillo. He was he was up. I'd known those guys coming up um, through the minor leagues. Bautista was already up. So it was a few guys that I've known either played with in the minor leagues or just known from being in the instructional league uh, that were already in the big leagues. So it made it a little bit easier for me. But you have those veteran guys uh, that are looking at you like, who's this guy? Plus, I don't have the gear that I need to wear on the road to a big league stadium. You know, I'm, I got sneakers. I got jeans and stuff <laughs> like that. That's a dress code on the road. I'm sure it's changed now, but they're looking at me funny, man. Like, who is this guy? He don't know how to dress, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, Ronnie, Ronnie Paulino, a few of those guys, you know, they, they, they kind of pulled me to the side and, and, and helped me out and told me, you know, how I should conduct myself, so on and so forth. But it was a culture shock to me, not only being around these guys, but being at, being at, being at Wrigley, bro, being at a stadium like that for the first time, uh, I was a little disappointed in the clubhouse. It was a bit small, but, yeah, you yeah. know, it's tradition. But uh, once I stepped on that field and, and ran around a little bit, smelled the grass, snagged me a piece of ivy off the wall, you know, I started to get comfortable, man. And, and, and the coaches, the coaching staff and Jim Trace at the time, who was the manager, made me feel at home. And, and the transition was easy. What's cooler, being on a baseball card or being in a video game? Video game. Everyone says that. Everyone has a video game answer. Really? It's better than being on a card? I, I think, I mean, I think so, man. It's it's just one of those things. I mean, you did both when we were young. We I collected cards, football, baseball, basketball cards, and played video games. But it's you actually in action. Yes. No, it's <laughs> the real you. It's you. Like, you're being emulated by the way you play the game. It's, it's, it's crazy. I think the video game by far. What was your welcome to the big leagues moment? When did you say, like, okay, I made it? Either was it a hazing experience or you gave up a big hit? When was your welcome to the big leagues moment? My welcome to the big leagues moment probably was seeing my name on the back of a jersey, and it wasn't number 99 on number 64. <laughs> <laughs> like something you get as a rookie, you know what I mean? One batter, Shane, you're you're on the mound. One batter you face, it can be your first game, your 50th game, that you're like, you take a step back and like, oh, my God, I'm pitching against who? Griffey. Oh. Griffey. That was well, the guy. That was the first I, game, wasn't it? That was, no, he was hurt. I didn't get to face him. He, was, he, he, he got hurt like the week before we went up to Cincinnati. So I got to face him the following year in uh, 2007. So, mind you, you know, two, I had – three or four baseball jerseys in my life in high school coming up and two of them were Griffey. One was a teal Mariners and one was a white Mariners. And then uh, Craig Biggio was the other, no, Jeff Bagwell was the other jersey I had. So that guy, you know, that facing that guy and seeing that guy on the same field as me, uh, that, that, that was the moment. That was the moment for me. It, it's funny. I, I know you can't see me right now. I'm sitting in Yankee seats from the old stadium and I only wear Yankee stuff. I bleed blue, but Griffey was the guy. Like I would actually have a Griffey shirt, and like my dad let me have a Griffey jersey. He was just the guy growing up that people, you know, it's different now. But Griffey would remember watching the Sports Center highlights. I can't even picture what uh, on the mound with him. What do you do? What do you do? You strike him out, he get a hit. What'd you do? A fly ball to left field, man. A fly ball to left field. Got a little, a little slider. I remember the pitch. To, I'll never forget the pitch. Slider down in the way. Fly ball to left field, man. So that 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 made my. That made my year right there.
did you let him know that you went to college wearing his glove? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I, I was in awe, man, just to like see that guy on the field with me. I, that's something that didn't didn't cross my mind, bro. But when I look at that picture at my dad's, I'm like, damn. It was yeah. It was that glove, bro. It was that glove. But no, nah, I didn't let him know. Shane, we talk about like, you know, you making the correct decision to go to college, get an education. Again, now you're not older now, but I'm curious mentally. You're a young guy. How do you take the nervousness of, I was just in the minor leagues. If I give up six runs this inning, am I going down? How do you deal with that mentally, the up and downs? Like, you know, established guys, they can have 20 bad outings in a row. As a rookie coming up, is that mentally messing with you? It's tough. And I would say college helped me with that to an extent. The coach we had, it was more so him getting in your head and getting the be- finding the, the best finding the best strategies to get the best out of each player. Not everybody was the same. Some guys he was hard on. Some guys he made them seem like they were better than than they really were. The motivational speeches, the motivational videos, all those things. I got the opportunity to play in the College World Series in front of a, you know, pitching in front of a huge crowd. So I think a lot of those things prepared me down the line. Um, it was a blur. I'll I tell you, my first game was a blur. I remember maybe three or four things that happened in that, that first Major League start. Um and I was probably shaking after the game. It was still kind of surreal to me. But obviously, as I as I got my feet wet and, and, and got more experience, it became a little bit better. I can't tell you the mental side of the game. The the, the thing that took a, that got me mentally the most was the business side of baseball. Man, that really that put me in a bad place. Uh, you know, the following year in 2007 and going into 2008. But as far as the playing and adjusting to the speed of the game and the players you're facing. Mentally, I wasn't I wasn't overmatched after that first couple games in the big leagues. Chasing the dream, you know, Phillies. You play two years in the league. You jump around the independent circle, and then you did something that I love and admire because people face the crossroads in life, Shane, and they're like, "Okay, I didn't make it to the majors. You made it. I played two years. Do I call it quits?" You took the contract and played overseas. A small town dude goes from the south. All of a sudden, he's pitching <laughs> Taiwan and Korea. I have to tell you how much I admire that, number one. I really mean that because I have so many basketball guys on the like, after I didn't make it, I, I got pissed and I quit. You know, I, I did this. The fact that you went there shows the kind of person you are. So take me to Taiwan first and then Korea. Man, it. I mean, Taiwan, I was in a bad situation. Just think about it. Uh, in the, independent, independent ball for a couple, well, parts of three years, almost four years. And then I'm not making no money. You know, I got car note, I got this, I got that. So, <laughs> 2011, I'm in Long Island, and I'm oh, play for the, play for the Ducks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm running away from uh from bill collectors, man. I'm not in <laughs> phone. I'm not doing none of that. Cause I I mean my money is thin. Uh, so my mindset was let me let me go here and see if if something comes up to where I can go overseas. Previously, around 2008, 2009. Uh, my pitching coach from the big leagues, uh, dang, I, and I'm not calling his name, and I need to, but uh, he offered me an opportunity to go overseas to Taiwan, but I did, I did, I declined it. And at that time, it was real bad with the gambling and stuff. So fast forward, Jim Coburn, Jim Coburn. Uh, fast forward to 2011, I'm in dire needs. You know what I mean? So when that call came about going again. I was open to it because that means I'd be able to take care of certain bills that I needed to take care of. And my mindset was, hey, I want to use this to leapfrog into Korea or Japan. So I went down there and did what I was supposed to do. 
played well, you know, pitched my ass off, and uh, hopefully I can cuss on your podcast. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, pitched my ass off in the Dominican Republic, you know, was pitcher of the year there, and that's that's what that's what opened the doors for me to get overseas to Korea uh, and leave Taiwan. All right, so I'm an obsessive traveler. It's actually my biggest passion. How do you do with the food there? Because that's always people – I'm an adventurous eater, so when I go there, I eat all the local stuff. You're a southern guy. You guys have your certain niche of food. Now you're yeah. in Korea. Take me to that food chain. Are you thinking, what am I doing out here? So before that, let's let's just go back to Taiwan, even though I was only there <laughs> for a couple months. Okay. I, I mean, it's cultural, but I definitely, definitely – Taiwanese food? No, 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 no. <laughs> I got sick, man. I got sick out there, and I lost about 12 pounds, man. So that was my mindset going to Korea. I'm like, nah, I don't know if I can do this. I know my experience in Taiwan was bad with the food. I can't do it. But in spring training, man, uh, they served us a dish called Bude Chige. It's a okay. soup. So it's, it's, you would say it's gumbo mm-hmm. uh, when you think about when you think about soups, because it was a military meal in Taiwan, in Korea, I'm sorry. They put a little bit of everything in a, in a pot with some noodles because they didn't have a lot, you know, to eat. Of course. And, bro, when I tell you that was good. <laughs> so from that point on, I was open to trying any type of Korean food until they started bringing octopus in front of me and stuff like that. But. The food was great in Korea, man. I, I I love that food to this day. I even made T-shirts with a favorite, one of the favorite foods that I that I like over there for my teammates, and we wore them during the year, doing you know for BP and stuff like that. So, but the food, man, in Korea was superb. I love Korean food. When you were out in Korea, what's the one food you miss the most? What's one food you crave the most? It's called chimdap. It's like a chicken stew with potatoes and carrots and and, and uh. These uh, sweet potato noodles in it. You could put it over rice, and they make. I mean, it's a. They make a big old pan of that, and it's. They eat. You know the way they eat it. We eat in groups. Everybody shares. So it was one of those things to where once I got a taste of that, and it reminded me of Louisiana because you can, when you order it, you can go ahead and, and choose what type of spice you want from one to five. So obviously that was right up my alley with getting some spicy food. You spent three seasons out there. You speak any Korean? A little bit. I was full. I was out there for four. Matter of fact, I speak a little Korean, man. Uh, I, I can read it and write it, and you know, I know I still know a few words, but I didn't. I didn't practice as much as I should have. But I can. I can. I can. Uh, I can understand a little bit and, and, and respond in a way if I need to. Did you become a fan of K-pop out there? No chance. One. <laughs> one. Uh, one group, Sister. They had one chick on there. I mean, I got a lady now. I'm settled down, but. One chick with sister that was bad, so you know I I I had to uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely pay attention to them. So hey, hopefully become- our baby's noise is not bugging us on this thing. A little bit, but what am I gonna tell you? Not to be a father, so it's all right. Nah, I'm gonna grab her right quick. Hey, how's the comp- how's the competition out there, baseball wise? Is it good? It's it's good competition, man. I would say I would say you you can call baseball in Korea. 3A slash 4A, you know, triple A slash 4A baseball. Uh, guys, guys hit for power. A lot of guys know what they're doing at the plate. Um, the defense, the defense, uh, lacks a little bit because guys are afraid to make a mistake. Okay. And they teach by the book so much, but, um, what, what's keeping the league from growing more is everybody micromanages. 
So if you go to a high school game, you go to a college game, you go to a pro game, you see the games being played pretty much the same. The only difference is the guys are bigger and stronger. But the, guy, the, the games are being managed the same from every level. You don't see a huge difference except for size of guys. And, and guys maybe throwing a little bit harder and hitting the ball a little bit further. Now, Shane, who were you out there with? Were you with fr- family? I know you said you were single. Family, friends, or you were alone out there? I was alone, man. My first year I had a girlfriend. We ended up breaking, you know, separating after my first year. But I was by myself, man. Uh, fortunately, my first year, Ryan Sadowski, who was my other teammate from the States, he had been there for two years. So he helped me along with the with the transition, which was huge. And after that, Chris Oxpring was my teammate. He had been there previously with uh, LG. Uh, so we kind of hit it off. And, you know, you meet the farm players from the other teams. Uh, fortunately, in my town, we had a small fort uh, for the military. So we started meet, meeting a lot of military personnel. Okay. That's when I really appreciate the, what the military does for us. And they used to hook us up, you know, with the, with the snacks and stuff like that, you know, from their store. You know, stuff you couldn't find in, 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 in Korea, chips and things like <laughs> that. A little alcohol when you needed it. But uh, they took care of us, man. And in exchange, obviously, it's easy to get some game tickets. But after that first year with Sadowski, man, I was pretty much on my own. And I, I could get around and do anything that I needed to do uh, without much help of a translator. When On your downtime there, did you stay in Korea or did you jump around to any other Asian countries? I stayed, man. I went to I went to Australia once. I wish I would have gone to a couple of other places, but I was loving the country so much, man, that my first year I stayed two extra weeks just chilling in Korea, man. I just, I stayed out there, just, you know, met with people, saw people off, uh, before I left and or before they went on vacations and stuff like that. I wish I would have gone to like Thailand, uh, the UAE and places like that while I was there, but I didn't do it. Biggest difference between the MLB and Korean baseball? Besides talent-wise, what you said is good. What's the biggest difference? The biggest difference, uh, I guess, the, the the making adjustments, the speed of the game, making adjustments. Um, the umpiring is a little bit, you know, behind. And and like I mentioned before, the the micromanaging, the managers wanting to control everything instead of letting you guys play. When when you're a professional here, they tell you it's your career. A lot of times, managers don't man. They really manage when it's six inning on. They're in Korea. They, they start trying to do stuff. They, they try to win the game in the first inning. It's game seven every game. So, oh, really? Yeah, it's no lie, man. You see stuff. I'll tell you this, Mike. My last year there, I played for a guy that was, he's a, you know, well-known, real famous manager there because he's hard-nosed, military-minded, whatever. So we're playing the game. We're on the road. We're hitting first. He get guys, they will go hit early. I'm talking about 10 o'clock in the morning, they go hit. 12 in the, 12 in the morning, they go hit and go straight to the field. So he made one guy jog from wherever they were hitting early at. It was probably about five miles, right? He told him, you can't ride, you got to jog back. So this guy gets to the game five minutes before first pitch. He's not starting. We get bases loaded. It's two outs. We pinch hit five start third baseman in the first inning. The guy grounds up. He pinch hit with the guy that he made run five miles to the field. Come on, come on. <laughs> he grounds out to first base or to the pitcher. Now they got him in the hallway doing dry swings. We lose our third baseman who never stepped on the field except to the on-deck circle in the first inning. We're the visiting team. Stuff like that, man. We've, flipped, we've 
We've used our benches with some of these teams before the fifth inning. We've used our whole bench. Now you got pitchers hitting. New York Sports Talk Radio would have a field day with that. Because if they bunt with a man on first and second, no outs, there's 50 calls about that. New York Sports Radio would crush that guy. Oh, they do it. And it's not just one. It's every team. You might have one or two teams. Samsung used to be back in the day. They'd let their guys go. Uh, uh, the guy, the guy that plays for the shortstop. I mean, shortstop for the Pirates. I forget his name. Uh, the Korean guy, Jung. Kang Jung Ho. Their, their team used to just let him go because they had they had him and and uh, Park Byung Ho. I don't know if you remember him that went to the Twins for a little bit. You know those guys were hitting forty home runs apiece, so they let those guys swing it. Their whole team would just swing it because they they had a band box and they were playing for the fence. But you two teams out of ten that have played the game somewhat, you know the way we're used to playing it out of ten. That's not that's not very good. Last night, you and I were texting, and right before you came on, I never like to do too, too much research because then the interview sounds very rehearsed. Yeah. But uh, you, you had a lot of uh, – not a lot. You had some racism out there with other players. And yeah. I was going to ask you – I was going to ask you because I travel all over. And listen, people don't want to acknowledge it. A lot of the Asian you know, countries, they don't see many African-Americans, and especially you're a big dude. You're the six foot four, six foot five dude. So did you face a lot of racism out there? Even if it wasn't directed towards you, like things they say, I, I read one person wrote, um, said, oh, it's hard to see the ball out of his black hand. Like that's blatant racism, but they didn't know it was racism or they just didn't care. I don't know what he thought it was. I think he was trying to be funny. And at first I thought it was funny too. But when I, after hearing it and, and sitting back and thinking about it, like, man, it's, you know, that's jacked up in a sense. And, and I was waiting on an apology. I never got it personally from him till a couple of years down the line, but it happened not only to me and in my town, my first year when I got there, it was tough. You see people looking at you a little bit weird and things of that nature. But once they got to know me off the field, I didn't really see it much, but you heard a lot of stuff in the media and things and things like that. Not only me, Felix PA, something happened to him. Something happened with him. Um, I think in 2014, uh, also, Liz, Rada, Rada James Liz. I don't know if you're familiar with that name. Another Dominican guy. Fighting mm-hmm. idiot did something to him in a, in a newspaper, printed something in a newspaper. So it's something that was going around. You didn't see it so much off the field. You saw it, which is crazy, at the games, you know, whether it was TV, in a newspaper, or with another player. And it, it was crazy, man. It For me, I, I, did, I just didn't understand it because they faced it. You know, with the whole Korean War, even of if course, and they get looked at a different way. They get looked at as being lesser. So I would think those guys would understand. And the player that made the comment about me, he played in Japan. He left Japan because he didn't feel comfortable or accepted by his Japanese teammates. So it was weird, man. And I, I ended up hitting him, and we became teammates a couple of years later. He apologized. He apologized. <laughs> made a big, big public thing out of it. But it's it was crazy how that stuff was going on over those three years that it happened. Biggest regret in your entire baseball career, MLB and Korea, biggest regret? If I had to pick one, man, it would be, uh, you know, being, a, I guess, taking the initiative a little bit more, whether it be me watching video and, and kind of sharpening my game on that on that stance and not being stubborn in that sense, and uh, picking the brains of veteran guys. I had the perfect opportunity with Philly, and I was backed up in the corner because of the things that I went through with the Pirates and we weren't very good. I stepped into a very good situation with the Phillies, and I kind of treated it like I was with the Pirates. 
I felt if I would have dove in a little bit better and, and, and picked the brains of some veteran guys that were there at the time, uh, perhaps my career would have lasted a little bit longer here in the States. When did you know, like, okay, it's time to hang up the spikes, it's a wrap? Well, nobody offered me a job, and I know I didn't want to go the indie route again. I was 38, I think, in 2017. I threw for three teams, and, you know, I thought I was sharp. I thought I did well, but obviously you see how the game's changed so much now uh, with certain things, and nobody wanted to bring me in for whatever reasons, whether it was age or, well, your spin rate is not this or whatever is not whatever, and it didn't work out, but 2017 is when I figured, man, this, this it's time to shut it down and, and move on to something else. You still a fan of the game? I am. It took me a little time because, like I said, from the business side of things, how, how, how stuff was done, I was bitter. It left a bad taste in my mouth, so I hated a lot of stuff because, and I'm sure you've heard it from numerous players probably, you see guys playing that you know, man, if you played against him or played with him, you were better than that guy, or you probably deserved the same opportunity as he got. But you didn't quite get those. So I held that for a long time, man. And I think I would say over the last year plus, I've been able to accept the fact that, you know, my career is over. I played for a long time, despite not playing in the big leagues for a very long time. But I think I exceeded expectations. What players are appointment watching for you right now? If you got the MLB package, you can watch one game. Who's one player you need to see? Mookie Betts. Really? He's your guy? Yeah, man. I mean, he does it all, man. He does a lot. I just, I'm just, so, I'm, I'm a fan of that, that guy. I like Scherzer. I like to watch Scherzer pitch. Those two guys I got to watch. If they're on TV, I got to watch them play. Who's your team growing up? Atlanta, the Braves. That's the only, that's the only games we would catch on TV in New Iberia, Louisiana. My mom was a Braves fan. We watch them go from worst to first. So coming up, the Braves, that was my squad. If you are uh, Garrett Cole, I know he said he grew up a Yankee fan. There's that famous sign. If any team anywhere in the world threw $300 million at you, how quick would you be over there? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I do like my managing career did to the guy. I'd run. I'd run. <laughs> Spot that I need to be at, man. I wouldn't, need, I wouldn't waste no time, bro. I wouldn't waste no time. What other sports you're into? I know you're an LSU guy. You into basketball or no? Yeah, I played through high school. I played basketball through high school. It was actually – I actually, if you had to, when you asked me about my regret, I wish I'd have been as aggressive on the baseball field as I was on the basketball court. But you know, you know, baseball is that goody two shoe, especially the pitcher coming up at that time. Mm-hmm. You couldn't, you couldn't get too excited on the field because it was showing somebody up. But basketball was my first love, man. Uh, but I was a lefty, threw the ball pretty good, so baseball was the way to go for me, the better opportunity. Talking about uh, the Big Easy basketball, is Zion ever going to play down there? You know, I think they're gonna go with the with the uh, with the whole Joel Embiid and and uh, Ben Simmons. Take take a whole year off, right? Yeah, it it wouldn't be bad. I'm sure they'll probably get a decent first pick or whatever they got from the Lakers, so they'll be able to build on some stuff uh, going into next year. I think they should go ahead and get a guy from overseas that can shoot it, or at least be close enough to be to 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 play like uh, Luca. So what are you up to now? Where are you living now? What are you up to now? Besides, first of all, you're holding your daughter who's absolutely beautiful. So besides being a new dad, what are you up to and where are you living now? I'm living in a, uh, the Dallas Forward area in a town called Mansfield, which is not too far away from uh, Arlington and, uh, and uh, where the Rangers play, as well as the Cowboys Stadium. Uh, right now, man, I'm taking a break. I've been working with some kids uh, on the pitching side of things. 
over the last probably year plus. So I'm taking a break away from that now. Obviously, I'm a stay-at-home dad uh, for the moment. I'm, I also uh, put together an eight-week winter training program for some high school ball players to get them ready for their high school tryouts and high school seasons. We're approaching the last weekend of that on Saturday. So I'm looking to grow that and hopefully uh, make that a little bit bigger down the line. I think I really want to concentrate on that. And I really, Mike, I'm, I've been thinking about doing a podcast, man, just afraid to step out on faith and do it. But um, either that or I'll try to get on somebody's radio show or I'll build my way up to TV and do some uh, do some broadcasting or do some pregame, postgame analysis. But uh, that's pretty much where I am now, man, uh, just enjoying the, the time off and being settled over the last couple of years instead of being on the road all the time. After we uh, finish talking, we'll talk off mic about the podcast stuff. But, hey, speaking-wise, I see you on Twitter. Like you just said, you're uh, mentoring kids, giving that. What advice do you give to kids? Man, that's a lot. Uh, and I have a little bit more insight on how to keep things in order after going to that uh, that ca- the career summit for, for the MLBPAA uh, back in December before mm-hmm. the winter meetings. They brought a lot of insight to us about different things that we're looking to do outside the game. But for me, just helping kids understand how we can use the game not only on the field but off the field. You know, help helping them pay attention to certain little details that that can give them that edge over somebody that may not be a, that may be a little bit more talented than them. Those certain intangibles you need in life, and you can apply on the baseball field as well. Uh, I'm helping them with the whole, a lot of kids don't know about the NCAA clearinghouse. Mm-hmm. They're going through high school. They want to play division one baseball or division one sports. They don't know anything about the clearinghouse. You have guys that are juniors and seniors in high school that hadn't taken the ACT or SAT yet, but yet they want to play at the next level. You can't do that unless obviously you take care of business in the classroom. So just educating them on what it would take to play at the next level, not only from a, from a physical side of it, but from a mental side as well. All right, we're going to finish up with some trivia and quick questions. You ready? Gotcha. Best baseball movie of all time? Oh, man. The first major league or Mr. 3000? Can I pick? I can't pick. I can't pick one. I'll I'll let it slide in. First major league. You and I hanging out. We're at a bar. Who's the coolest person in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you back? Probably Jose Bautista. That's a great answer. So if you texted him, he texts you back. He'll hit me back on the WhatsApp, yeah. That's a good answer. What team did you get your first win against? My first win was against Milwaukee, the Brewers. Well, major league win, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Who, how about who was your first strikeout against? My first strikeout was Chris Denarfia. That's one of the only things I remember about my first game. <laughs> Chris Denarfia struck him out fastball up and away. Have you ever asked another player for an autograph? Oh, yeah, King Griffey Jr. Oh, and you uh, got it? Oh, yeah, Albert Pujols. Uh, here we go. Coolest piece of memorabilia that you kept for your personal stuff? Oh, man, a lineup card from my first start. Oh, that's a good. You know what? So many players I have on, Shane, they're like, I hate that I thought I was too cool. I didn't save anything. I'm glad you kind of appreciate the moment and you kept some cool stuff. No, I wish I could find the ivy from off the wall at Wrigley, but obviously that was 12 years ago, 13 years ago. So, you know, that thing's crumbled up somewhere. Coolest piece of memorabilia from someone else, whether it be a jersey, a ball, or something signed? I got a Mookie Betts autographed bat sitting right here. I'm looking at it right now. So, you know, that's my guy. To have him, to, to have a bat autographed by him, that's All right. Cool. Four more. 2001 draft, 
I know yep. you went late later on. Who went first or second? Do you remember who went first or second in that draft? Uh, I think was it a, a Ryan Anderson or Matt Anderson, a big lefty that went to Seattle. Yes. And how about the? No, no, you got, you nailed it. Huh? No, you nailed Anderson with the first one. And how about the second time you got drafted? Who went first or second? Oh man! In two thousand, was it was it uh Beckett? No, it was uh Joe Mauer. Okay. And then uh Mark Pryor went second. Okay, Pryor. Okay, yeah, Pryor, because he went to Vandy, then he went to USC. Best and worst part about being a dad. I know you're not going to talk ill of your beautiful daughter, but what's the best part about being a dad and what's the worst part? <laughs> the best part is, is, is seeing a resemblance of you, man. That's, that's the best part. And just like right now, sitting here with her, she, you know, she's attentive and things of that nature, but just seeing a resemblance of you, that's the best part. And finally, this question comes up a lot up here in New York. What can majors or baseball as a whole do to get more African-Americans interested in the game? I think really, really the programs that are set out for minorities really push that envelope. Uh, I think we need a few more people on the ground, you know, some foot soldiers out there to, to promote the game. I think the the, the opportunity is there with the, with the academies and stuff, but some of those academies are, are just looking for numbers by any means necessary and not really diving into their communities the way they should to get the African-Americans back involved in the game and, and commercials are helping and, you know, having them seeing guys that they can identify with on TV and maybe some from time to time in their communities. You know, it, it, it's funny because I just thought of that question as we finished up and I'm saying, you're an African-American dude living down in Louisiana. I'm a white dude up here in New York. And yet we both idolize Griffey. And then you said your must watch player is Mookie Betts. And yet, when it comes down to it, the most beloved Yankee the last five, ten years has been CeCe. So there's yeah. such a huge footprint of African-Americans in baseball. And yet the push, like it's always that one day where everyone wears 42. There needs to be a bigger push because there's such an untapped resource of such talent that's not being addressed. It does, man. And they set, like I said, the academies are here. But how many Mookie Best commercials do you see? How many CeCe commercials? Have not, I mean, you may see them in New York and Boston. Yeah, so-so. Not that much up here, Shane, really. You don't see them nationwide. So I think the last commercial, I mean, they did it a little bit. The MLB has done a little bit with Judge and, and, and Stanton. I think they were like at a press conference. So they did a couple guys, the young kid from the Braves. But I remember the one of the best commercials over the last probably eight, eight to 10 years was the Dicks commercial with Tory Hunter, Carl Crawford, um, uh, McCutcheon. Griffey was on it because he was, you know, at the end of his career. Mm -hmm. I don't know. For those Dick Sporting Good commercials that had those guys on there, but that was a real nice. That was a real good commercial. They, you don't see things like that no more. Uh, I think they need more of that, uh, and kind of just pushing those guys a little bit more, promoting them a little bit better. Yeah, you know what? I agree with that totally because the only time you'll see a Mookie Betts commercial or something like that or CC is during the playoffs. And if you're watching the playoffs, you're already a fan of baseball. That's the yeah. thing, you know. So it, 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 I always felt it was like. Okay, I'm glad you're promoting that the ALCS is on tomorrow night. We all know it because we're watching the playoffs anyway. But how about during a basketball game or maybe during a regular TV show or something or a boxing match, throw on some uh, some African-American plays doing something? Yeah, I'm with you on that, man. And like I said, that's the thing with the academies too, pushing it in that sense. You know, instead of trying to get numbers to keep those grants coming, I don't want to see no perfect game tournament at an Urban Youth Academy or a perfect game showcase. I don't want to see that over there. You know, because that's that's pushing certain certain kids out of the way because they can't afford to go. Shane, let's finish it with this. Your prediction 
LSU Clemson in a couple of days. Your prediction? 45-30. Go Tigers. You know the Tigers I'm talking about. <laughs> Shane, this was an absolute blast, my friend. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Maybe I'll do this a little bit more often. I hope you do, man. I'll talk to you in a few, brother. Sure. See you later, Shane. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.